Sometimes it's easy to pick and design sermon series. Uh, this one wasn't. <laughs> um, I couldn't figure out what to do. I, it was months and months ago that I was interviewed and became the preferred candidate, and I started to think about what I might like to preach on when I arrived here at some point in the far future at that point. And uh, I went through, I think, I think this is, this is uh, version six, <laughs> spanning five different books of the Bible. I settled on 1 Corinthians 1-4 to because one, one morning it just sort of popped into my head and uh, I dismissed it because if you know Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, you'll know that the church was in a bit of a mess. And I didn't want to preach on it because I didn't want you all to think that I thought you were all a complete mess. So I sort of dismissed it. And at the same time, I listened to a sermon from a friend's church and uh, there was a phrase in that uh, sermon that the preacher used Failure is succeeding at things that don't matter. Failure is succeeding at things that don't matter. And uh, God wouldn't let me forget that phrase, nor would he let me forget 1 Corinthians 1-4. to So when I finally gave in and actually read those chapters with a view to preaching on them, I realized that Paul's primary concern in those beginning chapters of that letter was to remind the Christians in Corinth of what really matters. They thought they were very successful. Corinth was, in a human sense, very successful. It was, it was very wealthy. It was on a trade route. So all the trade between Asia and India basically went through Corinth. So it was both large, it was bustling, it was wealthy. It was very much like a modern city. Also, like a modern city, it had its problems to do with poverty and people who were forgotten. And the church also appeared successful. They had plenty of money. They were mostly generous with it. They had a lot of people. They had a good variety of people from different parts of of society. They had passionate worship. But somewhere along the way, they lost sight of what comes first. They got caught up in in cliques and arguments, even to the point of suing one another. I hope that's not something you guys do regularly. Letters in the post. Letters in the post, yeah. You all know where we live now. And while their worship was quite rightly spirit-filled, it was also rowdy and uncontrolled. And in fact, some of them were getting drunk during services of communion. I suspect the wardens might kick us out if we tried that here. In their church life in Corinth, they were reflecting the world and its values instead of reflecting Jesus to the world. It was the wrong way round. All their problems stemmed from the fact that Jesus was no longer at the centre. When we lose sight of our identity in Jesus, when we lose the anchor of who we are, in him, then everything we do starts to come adrift. So Paul wrote to remind them of what really matters. He relentlessly called them then and us now back to Jesus. He reminds us to follow Jesus, not the latest fad, not our own desires, not even church leaders, but only Jesus. And so as we emerge from the pandemic, I want us to make sure we don't fall into some of the same traps that the church in Corinth fell into. I want us to make sure we don't reflect the world and its values, but that we reflect Jesus to the world. 
I want us to make sure we don't succeed in things that don't matter. I want us to make sure we don't forget who we are in Jesus while we do things. The way to do that is to make sure we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And that's why this series is called Seeing the Sun. And my prayer is that these chapters will set the right tone for this next season in our church life together. And help us, maybe even for the first time, to see Jesus. To see him and follow him. The reading is from the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptised in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptise any of you except Christopher and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptised in my name. Yes, I also baptised the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptised anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptise, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words from Paul, and I pray that by your Spirit you would help us to listen, to learn, and be transformed through them today. Amen. Wonder how good you are at waiting. Something you enjoy doing? The old Great British queue? If I'm honest, it's not my greatest strength. I hope that over the years I have grown more patient, although I still don't like waiting for things especially when I'm driving. Did you hear about the duck waiting to cross the road? No? 
The chicken walked past and said, I wouldn't bother, mate. You'll never hear the end of it. (laughs) Our experience of waiting varies hugely, doesn't it? From the minor irritation of a a slightly longer-than-usual traffic light to years of praying for something to happen. Sometimes God seems so slow to act, or he seems not to act at all. Sometimes we seem to be forever waiting and never receiving. We're going to come back to the theme of waiting at the end. But first, I'd like us to dive into these verses from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Although there is a brief footnote for those of you who are biblical pedants. This isn't actually Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. We know that there was at least one more that he wrote before this. But this is the first one that we have. 2 Corinthians is not actually Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. It's probably his fourth letter. And we know that there are other letters as well that they sent to him, including one presumably from Chloe's household. What does that tell us? Not very much, except that Paul wrote a lot of letters and that God didn't think we need to know what they all said. So today I'd like to pick up three words from this passage. Called, graced and united. And then we'll return to see what they teach us about waiting. First then, we are called. Paul begins most of his letters in pretty much the same way. He gives his name, Paul. Yeah? His job? You can speak. Apostle. And his boss? God or Jesus. First one, Paul. Called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul didn't choose to be an apostle. He was called to be an apostle by Jesus and by the will of God. He was called and sent. That's what the word apostle means. It means someone who is sent. What about you? Do you feel called? Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. Too often in church circles, we we sort of reserve the word calling or, or use it mainly for people like Paul and like me who are church leaders. We talk about them as the ones who are called and as if the rest of us are sort of, I don't know, second class citizens in the train of, um, I'll stop talking. (laughs) But when we do that, we make the lesser calling, being a church leader, more important than the greater calling. For the greater calling, the greatest calling is into God's family. Paul carries on in verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. That is the greatest calling that all of us receive. Because in Jesus Christ, God is making a new people, a new family. One that doesn't depend on the country you're born in or who your parents are, how much money you've got. A family that anyone can join if they respond to God's call. Now, there's a little pun in that verse that gets lost in translation. And as I established a couple of weeks ago, I like a nice pun. I suspect that I can hear the sinking feeling in all your hearts. So the pun in verse 2 is not a funny pun, but it's a helpful pun. The the pun is on the word holy. Verse 2 could be translated like this. To those who have been made holy in Jesus and called to be holy. 
to those who have been made holy in Jesus, called to be holy. So are we holy already, or are we called to be holy? Do you see? The answer is yes. (laughs) Think of it like this. Are you married on your wedding day when you've said your vows and you've signed the register and the vicar said, let those whom God has put together, let no one put asunder? Or are you married after a lifetime of faithfulness and love? Yes. (laughs) Am I married to Jess? Yes. She looked a bit nervous then. Is my marriage to Jess complete? Not yet. In a sense, then, our marriage has already happened on the 1st of August, 2015. But it is not yet complete. And so as Jess's husband, I live out the day-to-day reality of something that has already happened in the past, but is not yet complete. It's not a perfect picture, but hopefully it illustrates something of what Paul's talking about here. God's people are already holy. That's you. Already holy. Another way of translating that word is saints. God's people are already saints. Because of what Jesus has already done on the cross. When he rose to new life and ascended to be with the Father. That has happened. It cannot be changed. It can never be taken away. It is the solid rock, the foundation of concrete on which we stand as God's people. God's people are also called to be holy, to live out the reality of what has already happened in our daily lives. Amid the pain and the suffering and the sin and the difficulty of this world, to be a sign to this world that there is something more. This is not all there is. There is something better, and that can be found in Jesus. The Christian life is not about striving for something we don't have, but taking hold of something we've been given. The Christian life is not about building up enough credit to buy the life we've always wanted, but receiving that life from Jesus, who bought it for us, paid with his blood, and gives it to us for free. The Christian life is about responding to a call. The call to be what God has already made us. The call to live out every day what God has already done for us in Jesus. To be every day who we already are in Jesus. In Ephesians, Paul puts it like this. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. What we do matters, but who we are in Jesus comes first. I said we'd be picking out three words. See if anyone was listening. The first one was called. The second one is grace. Well done. We are called, we are graced. A vicar was invited to lunch by one of his parishioners. As he sat down at the table with the family, the mum asked their daughter to say grace. She sat there quietly for a bit, looking worried. 
I don't know what to say, mummy, she said. That's okay, darling, said her mum, smiling at the vicar. Just use what daddy said before breakfast this morning. (laughs) The little girl folded her hands, closed her eyes and said, Oh God, why did you invite that idiot for lunch today? (laughs) But what is grace? It's more, isn't it, than the prayer that some of us say before we eat. Paul says in verse 4, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. Some clever person once figured out you could turn grace into an acronym. I'm sure some of you know it. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. Sometimes it's described as free, unmerited favour. Something we don't deserve or have to pay for. Those descriptions are right and good, but grace is more than that. Grace is more than that. Because Paul doesn't stop at verse 4. He carries on. Let's see what he says. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. The 20th century theologian and philosopher Bono once said, Grace is the name for a girl. It's also a thought that changed the world. Grace isn't simply something the Christians in Corinth have been given. It has changed them. It has enriched them in every way. And that change proves the message of Paul's gospel. It proves that what Paul said about Jesus was true. It's like yeast. If I gave you a little packet of powder and told you it was yeast, you might believe me. I guess you might call the police. The way to prove it is to mix it into some dough. As the proof of the yeast is in the rising, so the proof of the gospel is in the lives of those who believe it. For we are transformed by God's grace. Do you see? Grace is both the way that God creates his new family and the way he enables us to live in that family. It all comes from God. Verse 7, Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. These spiritual gifts, which include among other things the speech and the knowledge that Paul mentions in verse 5, talks about them later in the letter, they are given to help and enable us to live as God's children. To be the people we already are. To be the people God has made and called us to be, his children. Grace is not just a gift, it is an effective gift. It does something. Paul says to the Corinthians, and by extension to us, don't think you do any of this yourselves. Don't get ideas above your station, for all you have comes from God in Jesus. It is all a gift, an effective gift 
that transforms us into a family, a fellowship, it says in verse 9, with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Our part is to join in with what God is doing. So we are called, we are graced, and we are united. United, although perhaps with a question mark. Why do all maths teachers wear glasses? Because they help with division. (laughs) That one's appalling, isn't it? A Christian lived on a desert island all by himself. All by himself for years and years and years. And after many years being by himself on this island, he is rescued. As he's pulled aboard the rescue ship, the captain asks him what the three buildings are that he can see on the island. Ah, he says, that one's my home. Uh, And that one's my church. What about the third building, asked the captain. Ah, says the Christian, that's the church I used to go to. (laughs) If I asked you to describe the global church, wonderful to have a greeting this morning at the beginning of our service, I wonder what words you'd use. I'd be quite surprised if many of you used the word united. would surprise me. Because the truth is, even within the same church, there are divisions. Verse 12. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. I don't need human leaders. I've just got Jesus. It hurts Paul. It really hurts Paul that the church family he planted in Corinth is so divided. If you count them up, If you've got a Bible, you can see in the footnotes, there are 22 verses in this letter where he uses the word Adelphoi, which means brothers and sisters. 22 verses. Why does he keep saying that? Because they need to hear it. And maybe we do as well. Verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, Verse 11, my brothers and sisters, he begs them, don't forget who you are. Agree with one another in what you say. May there be no divisions among you. Be perfectly united in mind and thought. Now, what Paul doesn't mean is that he wants us all to be the same, thankfully. It's like the difference between a choir singing in unison or in harmony. If a choir sings in unison, everyone sings the same words and the same tune, and it can, have quite, it can be quite powerful. But when we sing in harmony, we sing the same words but with different tunes, and the different tunes weave together to create a beautiful, harmonious sound. That's more what Paul is trying to get at here. Later in his letter, he talks about a body with many parts, one body, many parts, The parts are not all the same, but they work together in harmony so the body can see, hear, taste, smell, touch, and so on. The thing that unites God's people, the words we should all sing to our different tunes, that's Jesus. The same person through whom we're called, the same person through whom we receive grace, Jesus Christ. Verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? No, no, and no. Of course they weren't. 
First, every Christian receives all the blessings of Christ. We saw that in verse 5. There is no hierarchy in favoritism. People with dog collars don't get more Jesus than you lot. Nor do you get more than me. Jesus is not divided, number one. Number two, many people were crucified by the Romans, but only one of those deaths brings forgiveness. Jesus's. Paul was not crucified for us, nor anyone else, but only Jesus. So the power to save us is not in fancy arguments or clever words, but in the cross of Jesus Christ, Paul says in verse 17. Third, when we are baptized in God's name, we pass from the kingdom of this world into a new kingdom. And that kingdom, well, it's a kingdom. It has a king. That king isn't Paul. That kingdom isn't me. It's not even the Archbishop of Canterbury or the Pope. It's Jesus. You can count them up as well. Six times in these ten verses, Paul says, Lord. He calls Jesus Lord in verse 2, 3, 7, 8, 9, and 10. Why does he keep repeating this? Because they need to hear it. And maybe so do we. Our Lord is not Paul, nor anyone else, but Jesus. Forget your petty divisions, Paul says. See past your differences and your preferences. Put aside your arguments and your earthly desires. And be perfectly united in mind and thought by seeing Jesus. So we are called, we are graced, we are united, sort of, work in progress. And we are waiting. Verse 7, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. This brings together everything we've thought about this morning. Waiting is a regular theme in the Bible, particularly in the Psalms and the prophets, where they talk about the night watch waiting for the dawn. See, the night watchmen, they can't do anything about the dawn. It's going to come when it comes. They can't make the sun appear more quickly than it will. But while they wait for the dawn, the night watchman gets on with the duties, staying alert to the dangers, looking forward to the light of the dawn, trusting it will come, but not knowing when. Sometimes the wait is over in a blink. Sometimes the night drags on in seemingly never-ending darkness. In those times when we feel so far from the dawn, so far from God, when our strength and our faith are failing, we need to let go and let God hold us. As the psalmist says in Psalm 139, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. What these verses tell me about Jesus about grace, about us, is that who we are depends not on how tightly we can grip onto God, but on he who holds us fast. Who we are doesn't depend on how good we are at making our own foundations, but standing on those that God has given us in Jesus. 
Maybe today you need to let go and let God hold you fast. Maybe today you need to look up from your pain and your troubles to see Jesus by your side. To know that who you are isn't affected by the pain and the struggle and the difficulty. Because who you are is safe with Christ. We wait eagerly by focusing on what matters. We are called. Called to live out who we already are in Jesus. We are graced, transformed in Jesus so we can live out that life that he gives us. And we are united. So let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who we are and for who you've called us to be. We thank you for your grace that transforms us. Help us be united in Jesus. Help us keep our eyes fixed on him. Help us wait eagerly for him. May we learn what it means to live as your children every day and in every way. Amen.